Greetings, Meltopians. If you've become enthralled by the dark wastes and nightscapes of Meltopia, and want to further explore its Stygian depths, consider joining our Patreon. For $2 a month, you could become a Meltopian and gain access to the darkest artworks, as well as written mythos pieces contained in the Melgrim, entries in Meltopia's own dark encyclopedia, and the legendary Corpus Diabolos, an elite publication containing essays written by the most esteemed dark scholars. For $5 a month, become a feared mailsayer and gain early access to episodes on the Meltopia and Sleepwake Cycle podcasts, and listen to new episodes of our audio series, Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book. And for $10 a month, join the ranks of the Melsapien, where you can listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, October's Children, as well as gain access to found recordings discovered throughout the world in The Weird Tapes. But if you're not ready to delve into the pitch just yet, and would rather swim the shallows to test the blackened waters, you can explore our public page which contains our entire backlog of Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book, episodes from the Meltopia podcast, which all together number over a hundred episodes. So, whether you want to become a full denizen of the dark, or simply peruse the public archives, come visit us at patreon.com forward slash Meltopia. That's M-A-E-L- T-O-P-I-A. Now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thank you. 
I had become a cannibal, subsisting on the flesh of dreamers and leaving their corpses to bake beneath the glare of the horrible sun. There was little rationalization left to me. I was clearly doing the dead mother's work. I tried to tell myself it was all some fantastic and calculated gamble, whereby the lesser dreamers would make way for a greater one, and the eliminated players would somehow assist in the composition of that greater dreamer's vision for the world. Yet the bearer truth had finally loomed too large to ignore. I was killing my own, and it wasn't at all clear how that was a good thing. Of course, whether I found the game to my liking or not, I would be forced to play along, lest I become merely a name scratched off a list. But I was beginning to wonder if I shouldn't look more deeply into the nature of the game's benefactor. For days I lingered within the field of the forest, sleeping away the sun and haunting the shadowed thickets by night, using the cover of darkness to raise a great and terrible monument. I hoped that my newest peace would somehow exonerate me of my crimes, and better allow the spirits of those who compromised my work's wicked teeth and mournful eyes to spread a dream as wild and hungry as fire. My project took me a little over a week to complete, and with the exception of my family, she was my best piece. She stood over thirty feet tall, scraping her head against the ceiling of the forest, presiding over the shadows. The great she-monster had many ferocious heads, each one grinning with staggered lines of eager teeth. The primary head beamed with beautiful blind eyes filled with a soft patter of spring rain, and it stared into places where sight failed to half the visions that only dreams could bear. Upon her head, I placed a crown fashioned with the hewn bones of hunting birds, and I made her dress from feathers and flesh. Her legs were many and canine each foot equipped with large claws that couldn't help but protrude wet and wicked from beneath her ample and flowing gown. Covered entirely by her dress, and forming her torso, was a temple made from wolves, where interlocking ribcages sheltered the phantom rhythms of seven dead hearts. Like her many heads, they were arranged to give primacy to the woman who had once destroyed me. I placed her at the rim of the forest, where her sightless eyes could stare down the sun without wincing. When I crept into Black River City, it was only sparsely populated, and by persons who seemed glad for their relative isolation. Many of the citizens moved about by night, and sang to themselves as they went down dark, curving roads into the surrounding forest. The sounds of strange industry and muted conversations could be overheard from the basements and attics of no small number of houses. It appeared the people had also renamed their township for some reason, as I found the name Lastragon written upon a large sign set in front of the only road that connected the city with the rest of the world. Overall, I found the little hamlet quite likable. I arrived at the abandoned residence of Martin Crook the first recorded victim of Miss Patience, just before dawn. There were a few occupied buildings near it, as if the structure had been ostracized. I entered the decaying Dutch colonial, which looked as if it had sat untended since the murder some thirteen years ago, immediately touched by the cold echo of past atrocity. I could feel the darkness thicken as I neared the cellar door, and the stairs into the basement held surprisingly firm as I descended them. The flesh of the house may have all but rotted away, 
yet the bones of its dead body remained strong, no doubt reinforced by the wicked deed that was not yet ready to be reborn into weightless nightmare, preferring the heft of stone, dirt, and dried blood that comprised its material body. The basement was small and earthen, which is of course why Miss Patience had chosen it. Surprisingly, the large hole in the floor leading to underground tunnels was meager by way of adornments, despite its historical significance, unless you counted stolen dreams, in which case, this was far from her first documented kill. Yet when I looked more closely at the edges of the pit, I noticed a small collection of teeth protruding from inside the rim, as if the opening was indeed designed to resemble some kind of mouth. I'm sure it was only the first of many mouths that ended up swallowing Mr. Crook that fateful night. The collection of teeth was comprised of mostly human and animal, though smaller assortment were beyond my ability to identify. Nevertheless, I was fairly certain I was gazing upon fragments collected from the Tower of Teeth. They could have been nothing but an embellishment for art's sake. The many and varied followers of Miss Patience were known to be a creative lot. Regardless of the lackluster features of the location, I was still thrilled to be in such a historic place, not to mention one step closer to my inevitable meeting with the renowned cannibal. But the sun was almost up, and I hated the idea of ruining the somber atmosphere of the house with daylight. So I retired to a corner of the basement and slept away the day. My dreams were hollow, filled only with the drone of common silence. Nothing of the stolen dreams that had so often haunted my sleep. I awoke to a dissonance of raised voices, like some rowdy crowd that had slipped from hell. It was coming from outside. The night was fresh, likely no more than a few moments old, and the noise almost masked the sound of something prowling the upper portions of the house. The excitement was excruciating. My sisters could barely contain themselves as they tried, again and again, to leap into my hands. I looked to the opposite side of the cellar, where a miniature window peeked above the rim of the unkempt side yard. I could clearly make out shadows pressed hard against the dirty glass, as they were nearly pinned by an obnoxiously bright light. I carefully made my way across the room to the window, ever mindful of the prowling creature, now silent, that lurked somewhere above me. The tiny view revealed a mob of townspeople. They were all gathered around my latest work, screaming and waving their arms. How they had managed to transport it from the edge of the wood, I couldn't imagine. From the top of what looked to be a water tower, a powerful spotlight illuminated my creation. I was so absorbed by the exquisite vision of my art being exalted, or cursed, I wasn't sure which, that I had almost forgotten about the silence of the thing upstairs, and how the cellar steps didn't creak when walked upon. I slipped between the clamor of the swelling mob outside and the whispers of nearby movement. My silence wrapped around me like loving arms, and my hands filled with saw-toothed laughter. The rank smell of fruiting corpses traveled upon the breath of the thing that entered the shadows at the bottom of the stairs. Its movement vacillated between a shuffle and a purposeful gait, outlining a struggle between primal and prudent dispositions. It inhaled deeply, combing the air for signs of prey. A solid bar of light shot through the cellar window and brushed past the face of the creature as the spotlight operator from the water tower adjusted his angle. 
The thing's face was as conflicted as its movements, expressing the extremes of a barely human condition. Its white eyes were sunken into its face like heavy, lusterless stones thrown atop a filthy pillow, and they peered no deeper into the world than was necessary to locate objects that would slake their host's hunger. This most certainly concerned the swollen meats of the dead, more specifically, human corpses. A septic pit of rough-hewn teeth comprising the thing's mouth, which it seemed to favor keeping slightly agape, as if to reduce the distance its jaws would have to open to admit its next meal. The longer I looked upon the thing, the more I detested it. You see, there are two principal attitudes concerning art. First, there is the type of art that seeks to capture reality, reproducing the banality of a ruthlessly pointless world and training the imagination to stray no further than the chiseled borders of it. The second is the type that flees the stagnant environments of the dead world, forever chasing the specter of endless dreams, foolishly hoping to catch it. It goes without saying which art I practice, and this creature was clearly the work of a practitioner of the first type of art. The grotesquerie was nothing but the isolation and intensification of a single basic urge, embellished only slightly with the coarse appetite of a nightmare. Nevertheless, the creature was undeniably well-made, the attention to detail impressive. Yet the overall aesthetic caused me to dislike the fetid reality that it was obviously designed to reflect. A second noise emanated from the upstairs as something else entered the house. The peripheral glow of a flashlight frosted the cellar stairs as a second intruder investigated. The first creature immediately recoiled from the invading illumination, shielding its eyes and hissing. Surprisingly, the thing spoke. Keep that light to yourself, you blind idiot. The creature from above ignored the insult and croaked back in only slightly less in human tones. Is it down here? I was being sought out, and I was sure it wasn't to congratulate me on my latest work. He's down here, said the first. I'm sure of it. I can smell the death clinging to him. Come to me, family man. Hiding is for prey, after all. The taunt was absurd on its face, but required a retort nonetheless. I decided I would savor my time with the thing in the basement, so I departed for the creature above me, as silent stairs go both ways. I found the thing clumsily roaming through the filthy kitchen, looking through some cupboards of all places. The windows of the room were without curtains, and when the creature finally shined the light near the glass, my reflection betrayed my presence directly behind the thing. The reflection also granted me a brief look at the creature, allowing me to measure the difference between itself and its companion in the basement. It was essentially the same kind of being, differing only by way of its greater share of human features, which were likely diminishing over time. This was typically the case with post-darkness afflictions, I had come to learn. The thing quickly spun around and I seized it by the throat, crushing its windpipe before it could marshal any kind of alarm. I didn't want to spill its blood. I wanted to remain as traceless as possible. I had packed the dead creature's body into the small fireplace when I heard more creatures entering through the front and back of the house. A nearby window showed me the restless crowd of townsfolk, 
composed of creatures much like the ones I'd encountered thus far, except for one. The thing seemed towering and massive, corpulent even. It shambled through the crowd like a great, plump spider, strolling among the tangles of swarming ants. However, these ants seemed to bow and scrape to the great spider, as opposed to attacking it. They gathered behind this new creature and fell silent. The shambling thing was little more than a shadow standing before the great beam of light that shone down upon my work. It paused to gaze upon the piece. But again, I wasn't sure if my artistic effort was being admired or admonished. I wanted to linger near the window to observe the thing's conclusion, but the creatures were closing on me. I decided to exit through the back. On my way out, I encountered another creature and dispatched it as I had the first, throwing its lifeless body over my shoulder. As I disappeared into the backyard, I detected the presence of other things moving through the night, far from the crowd and its light. I froze, waiting for the invisible things to make the first move. Within moments, a howl from something both alien and wolf broke through the quiet, issuing forth from the house I'd just abandoned. They'd found the body I left in the chimney. I was simultaneously impressed with and disappointed in the speed of the discovery. These creatures seemed to excel at locating the dead. I was already inside another dwelling when a second spotlight burst to life from somewhere on the opposite side of the small town. The lights began falling across houses and trees and yards, hoping to find me blundering about in plain view. As if the one who made the art of their alien hunters secretly infiltrated their town and silently killed a number of their kind would be foolish enough to fumble about in the open. No, these creatures were not the smartest of adversaries, though I knew they were only the vanguard of a much deadlier foe, and I would be meeting with her soon enough.